welcome tonight. Bless you, my brother. Appreciate you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And uh, just because you know the Holy Ghost is in control, would you give this pastor a hand of appreciation for preparing you for this moment? I don't know what he's been teaching the last few months, many years in this church, but I know that it's leading to this moment, and I'm just the one, the delivery man, the messenger of the night. But this man has built you, he's taught you, he's prepared you for something that very few people in Christendom ever, ever, ever experience. How many of you would like to experience the fullness of God's glory in your lifetime as much as possible, as much as supernaturally possible in your lifetime? Then give this man a hand of appreciation because he has prepared you. He has prepared you for that because worship is what brings the glory or worship is what brings us into his presence and there is protocol for worship there is we must be led of the spirit we must pray and say lord how do you want to be worshiped tonight and aren't you thankful for a praise team that was spot on that nailed it right on the head exactly the way the lord wants to be worshiped tonight yeah, that takes prayer that takes fasting. That takes sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God wants slow songs. Sometimes God wants fast songs. Sometimes God wants dancing. Sometimes God wants bowing. Sometimes God wants weeping. Sometimes God wants laughing. Sometimes God wants all of it all at the same time. But when God is obeyed and God is glorified, he inhabits the praises of his people. And the word glory simply means God's manifest presence. How many of you want to experience God's manifest presence? Then give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And we know that dancing is part of the protocol for ushering in the glory. We know that singing is a major part of the protocol for ushering in the glory. Being filled and led of the Holy Spirit is an essential part of bringing back God's glory. And I don't like using the term bringing back God's glory for lack, but for lack of a better vernacular because God don't need me to carry him anywhere but he does need available vessels that are hungry and thirsty and I was praying today for you and I know you were praying for me and I am so honored and so thankful that God has allowed Pam and I this privilege to be with you to serve you this week we have not come to be served but to serve and what has moved me the most is you can sense when you walk in here when I leaned over to the pastor and said it's electric it was electrifying and that's because this is a congregation that is hungry this is a congregation that is thirsty and the Bible says that when you hunger and thirst after righteousness you shall be filled there's no maybe about it if you're hungry God will fill you somebody shall hallelujah but tonight I have a very special message 
God has really spoke to my heart as I was praising God for the privilege of being with you. Our pastor was talking about the messages that I have preached and I felt extremely humbled by it. I remember the first time Dr. Lowry, my mentor, who's gone on to glory since. Many years ago, I was in my 40s, so that tells you how many years ago it was. He called me a mighty man of God when he introduced me to preach to his church in Washington, D.C. When he said those words, I was moved, I was humbled, I was honored, but I was taken back because the reality of it came upon me. What it really means to be a mighty man or woman of God, the responsibility that comes with that. And it is my honor tonight and it is my privilege tonight to be serving a congregation of mighty men and mighty women of God that God is going to raise up in these last days and bless them and reveal his glory to them. And through you, the world is going to experience the power, the glory, the salvation, the healing, and the deliverance of Jesus Christ as never before. It is not coincidental. Pastor, I know this, uh, Brother Hensley, it is not coincidental that there are men here tonight that are seasoned veterans, seasoned warriors of the cross who no doubt have forgotten more about God than I will ever know. I started late in life, and I'm honored that you would be with us tonight. But God brought together this unique group because you're men of influence. You're women of influence. What you believe and what you share with others, people believe and they hunger after as you have hungered after. It is no mistake that God has brought together this unique group for an hour such as this. And as I was praying concerning this revival and concerning you, God began to reveal to me that he has prepared you, that you're ready to help usher in a fresh visitation of fresh inhabitation of God's glory like I believe the world has never seen. I believe we're the ones that Simon Peter was talking about when he said, you are a chosen generation. And that generation isn't an age group. If you're alive in that time period, if you're five or if you're 105, you're a part of that chosen generation. We are a chosen generation, a holy royal priesthood, a peculiar people, God's special treasure is what that means. So tonight I have a message concerning the glory of God and how to usher in God's glory. And I can just tell you, saints of God, where God's glory is, every need in your life will be met. Where God's glory is, people are just healed by his presence. Where God's glory is, people would be drawn off the interstate and compelled to this building and bought to this very place because God's glory or manifest presence is going to draw him. Tonight, I'm not going to talk about the glory cloud. How many of you ever experienced 
or saw the glory cloud. Let me see your hands. I've seen it over, over the 14,000 plus times I've got, had the privilege of preaching. I have probably seen the glory cloud at some measure, and there's a density to it. Uh, maybe five, seven times over my entire ministry. But there is no mistake when the glory cloud shows up because every time I saw it, every time, people were healed, people would just start falling out all over the place under the power of God, nobody near them, nobody praying for them. People just started getting saved. People would come to the altar, Pastor, with guns and knives and leave the guns and knives in the altar and leave with Jesus in their heart because when God's glory shows up, it sets people free. And I've seen the glory cloud. And just like when the glory cloud was over Israel, it signified God's protection, provision, God's presence, God's guidance, God's leadership. So the glory cloud is significant and it's important but that's not the tangible touch of God's glory I'll be teaching on tonight. Nor am I going to teach on the fire or the manifestation of God's glory that comes in the form of fire. Oh, I, I have never personally, I've never personally seen the fire of the Holy Ghost over a building. However, I was in an eight-week revival in Mobile, Alabama, Henry McDuffie is the pastor, was the pastor. John Loper is his first cousin, and he was the pastor of that church, and we had 486 people saved over that eight weeks of revival. Although I never saw the fire over that church, there were reputable witnesses, men and women of impeccable character and integrity who witnessed about seeing the fire of God over that building. There were men and women that got saved in that revival and got up and testified. The reason why they came and got saved is they saw the fire over the church and they thought the church was on fire and they came to investigate. I guess to help put it out. And instead they got saved. I'm trying to say something. I'm not going to preach on the fire, but I believe in the fire. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. But know this. I do not have to see a cloud. I do not have to see fire to believe in God's manifest presence. But tonight, God has given me a very special message about God's manifest present in another tangible way. Just as if we saw the cloud, that would be tangible. We saw fire, there, you, that would be tangible. But God's going to show us another way that the glory of God can be manifested in our lives as long as we stay hungry and every single day there will be tangible evidence of God's glory in your life. How many would like to learn how to walk with God where there'll be tangible evidence of God's glory in your life every single day? Well, it seems like all week long, I've been hanging around with King David, and we're going back to one of the most important moments in the history of the Bible. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we find that King David has now become the official. He was the king of Judah. He was anointed to be king over all of Israel by the prophet. 
But Saul stood in the way. Saul's now gone. And one of the first official acts, in fact, the first major act that he did was to bring back the ark of God, which in the Old Testament represented God's glory or God's manifest presence. In the Old Testament, that was as close to God's glory as you could get and only a handful of people could do that. That's priests that went through 40 days of purification. But aren't you glad that when you got saved, that Jesus imputed unto you his righteousness so you and I can come boldly into the throne room of grace and experience that glory? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So in this story, it has a very happy ending. Because the glory of God ends up in the city of Jerusalem, in the city of David. God's people are enormously blessed. As long as the ark of God was with the people, when they went into battle, as long as they were right with God, that ark went first. They had victory every time. Usually nobody wounded. Usually no casualties. Wherever the ark of God was, they had provision all the time. Wherever the ark of God was, there was healing. And and, and people didn't even get sick when the glory was there. The point that I'm trying to say, the glory of God is something we cannot live without. This story shows us two very important things. The wrong way and the right way. The wrong way to try to usher in the glory of God and the right way to usher in the glory of God. You'll never experience God's glory without praise and worship. But praise and worship, thank God for skillful musicians. Thank God for an anointed woman. Give her a hand of appreciation that sings for his glory. But worship is more about the heart than it's about a musician or music, or even my song, or my dance. Worship is my heart. It's all of me touching all of him. It's love touching love, or it's not worship. So we learn this from this story in the Bible, because one time they tried to bring back the glory, but their heart was on the wrong thing. The heart was, they wanted men to see it. They wanted men to recognize them. They wanted their enemies to see we can do it too. But God doesn't want us imitating the world. We're out of this. We're, not, we're in this world, but we ain't of it. We, now, I know it's hoiky-joiky. Bear with me. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, give our PowerPoint voice in the hand back there for helping us out so much. So, and David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Now, how many for a homework assignment will go home tonight and read the last four or five verses of chapter five of 2 Samuel? And you will find that David is going to war and he consults with God. He seeks God for his counsel and direction to go to battle. But for whatever reason, pastor, when it came to bringing back the glory, which is more important than one individual victory, he did not seek God, but he sought men. And because of that, a mistake is made here that David greatly regretted and thankfully never repeated. But we understand these gifts are in earthen vessels. Remember, they were 
battling the Philistines on a continuous basis. David just killed their champion, Goliath. So Israel, in wanting to or not wanting to, was constantly being compared to the Philistines. That's very important to understand what went wrong here. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, it's hoiky-joiky. Turn to someone and say, it's hoiky-joiky. And David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. In other words, I don't know who did the choosing, but I could guess it was David. And he chose 30,000 men. But you see, when it comes to God's glory, God doesn't want it to be just 30,000. God doesn't want it to be just 30 million. God would like it to be 300 million or three or four trillion, billion people. When it comes to the glory of God, he wants everybody that knows Jesus to experience the glory. He don't want to handpick a few here and there. But he cannot use you in this way unless you're hungry. Are you hungry? If you're hungry, raise your hands. So notice the next voice here. Everything looks right, right? His motive is certainly good. His motive is good. I want to bring back the ark of God. We can't make it with, as a people without God's glory. Our future isn't dependent on King David. Our future is dependent on a God that never fails. And David arose. So far, he's still pretty good on track. And went with all the people that were with him from Baal unto Judah, Baal of Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubs. Now, saints of God, this means that the ark of God represented God's manifest presence. And it was here that God would manifest through a cloud, sometimes through a pillar of fire. And during the day of Moses, you know the story. But notice voice number three, because this is really kind of an amazing, amazing voice. And David, and, and no, verse 3, please. And he set the ark of God upon a new cart. Mistake number one. Had David done his homework, he would have known that the ark of God can only be carried on the shoulders of four Levites or four priests. And today there's neither male nor female, nor Jew, nor Greek, nor Gentile. So why did he put it on a new cart? Because the Philistine culture had thousands of false gods and they were constantly discovering new ones. So every time they would bring a new God, now ain't that ridiculous? Serving a God you made with your own hands. Serving a God that you mined the gold and silver and made it with your own hands. You gots to know that that ain't God. You gotta know. But whenever they would introduce a new God, it was their culture pastor to design a very elaborate, beautiful new cart. They would place that false God. Of course, there's only one God. Only one God. We all know him. We all know him. He lives inside of us. They would place him on a cart. And they would march him like a parade through town, signifying this is the new God that we have chosen to serve. So David seeing this over the years saying, well, you ain't the only one that can do that. So we're going to make us a new cart. And we're going to put the ark of God on a new cart because he's worthy of an elaborate cart 
He's worthy of a cart decorated with gold and silver, but God don't want gold and silver. God wants the hearts of men and women. God wants our... God's looking for some Levites. God's looking for some priests. God's looking for some sanctified men and women that have been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb of God to take this ark of God and carry it upon our shoulders. So this is mistake number one, you see. See, because, and David set the ark of God upon a new cart. Now, don't turn there right now because it would be herky-joiky for you to do so. But if you want to know where the ark of God was found, you can find that in Psalms 135. And it, and it tells, um, no, Psalms 132, I'm not going to go there, but voice 5 and 6 tells us that the ark of God, for whatever reason, has been stuck out in the middle of a field for the last 70 years. Think about that. So when David went and found this ark, it had been in a field of cow pasture, so to speak, for 70 years. Who knows how many saplings, how many weeds, how many vines, kudzu, honeysuckle. I guess if you weren't looking for the ark of God, you couldn't have found it because it was choked out by everything else. I am so glad that I'm not in one of those churches today that treat God's glory just like that. They want God's glory close enough just in case they need it. But they don't want him inside the house because where God's glory is, you see, when God's glory is, flesh dies and the spirit lives. That's why some people shout when God's glory shows up and others get upset when God's glory shows up because God's glory means death to the flesh and oh, thank God and life to the spirit. So for 70 years, the ark of God has sat in this field. When you go home and read for your homework assignment, Psalms 132, verse 1 through 6, it will become very evident that's where it was. So let's go back to verse number 3 and realize where David found the ark of God. And he set the ark of God on a new cart. There ain't no doubt that God wants it out of the farmer's field and back in the temple where it belongs or the tabernacle. But he didn't want it bought back of the way of the Philistines. He wanted it bought back by the way of Jehovah. And he bought it out of the house of Abinadad, that was at Gilbreth, and Asa and Aho, Aho, Ahio, the son of, well, how you say that? Ahio, that's what I thought, Ahio. I can say that the son of Abinadab drave the new cart. So now the ark of God has been at the son of Abinadab or Abinadab's house for 70 years and his son Ahoyle is one of the, the one that's driving the new cart. Now notice voice, now don't worry about Brother John because if you notice Brother John has problems with English. So when you get to Bible language, I really, especially Hebrew, I have a lot of problems. The point is, I know what the story is about and what it means. Notice, if you please, they put the ark of God on the new cart, which is the way the Philistines toted their God around. Now let's drop down to verse number four. And they bought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was at Gilbreth, according 
accompanying the ark of God and Ohio went before the ark. See, I'm teachable. Voice number five. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manners of instruments made of wood, even of harps, of psalteries, and timbrels, and cornets, and of cymbals, and on cymbals. So they're doing everything right, but not all praise, okay, all worship, all worship, praise is part of worship. Worship is praise, but praise is not the only thing worship is. We can worship God with our obedience. We can worship God with our lifestyle. We can worship God on our job by being the best employee our boss has. Is this making any sense? And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all these instruments. Thus far, everything looks good. God must be honoring this new way of doing everything because we got the musicians going, the music's great, it's no doubt spiritual songs, probably some that David sung. But you see, if we don't have God's agenda, and you all have God's agenda, everybody wave at me, because I don't wanna be missing, you all have God's agenda. There's a lot of places today that have great music, that have great songs, that sing all the great stuff and have great musicians. But when people leave those churches, they are not transformed. They are not changed. They are not different. You, you know what? You can come to church any way you come. You come any way you are. But when you come to the house of God any way you are, you ain't going to leave like you came. You're going to be changed. So what I'm saying is that they did everything to have religious choice because that's all they ever knew under the administration of Saul. They never knew anything about God's glory, but they're fixing to find out about it. Now, everybody look at me. You have nothing to fear. Everybody look at me and say, I have nothing to fear. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. But I want to show you something very powerful in this story. In voice number six. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, you see, I'm not naming names. I'm not judging anybody's ministry. But I am called of God to be a defender of the gospel. To preach the gospel. And when I got my license, one of the second requirements was is that I would defend the gospel if I needed to. So there's a lot of seeker-sensitive churches, politically correct churches, that want to throw out the ordinances of God and the truth of God, and they still want God's glory. They want to haul him in on a cart made by man instead of a plan designed by God. Now, we see this all around us. We see it, and everybody, don't get mad at me. I shouldn't even worry about this. I should not worry about this. If a preacher should never, ever say, I've got to be nervous if I stand up and say I'm pro-life. The last thing a man of God should have to be afraid of is say, I'm against killing babies. Oh, come on. 
Now, we all got things in our past that we regret, and I'm not bringing condemnation on anybody that made that mistake in the past and are now saved. No, 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 no. But as a Christian, would you not advise any woman that you know not to make the mistake? Sure you would. I did some horrible things as a Christian, but I was a sinner. But I never justified what I did. I never told other people it was okay what I did. I was ashamed of what I did. This important stuff. You see, because religion and music and doing everything the way it looks like it ought to be, without the truth and God being the center of it is a train wreck waiting to happen. God will tolerate it so long and then eventually something's going to be done. And when they came to Nacon's, Nacon's threshing floor, everything will go fine for a person that goes to one of these seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly churches. I'm seeker-friendly. If you want God, if you're hungry for God, I'm the God you're looking for. Amen. But what I'm saying here is people get caught up in these churches and they get real big numbers and they have millions of dollars coming in every year. And if it wasn't God, how come there's so many people there? How come it seems to be doing so well? If that's not of God, how come things look so good in there? There's a reason for it. Everything looks good in those kind of choices, secret sensitive choices, till you hit a rough spot in the road. When you hit a rough spot in the road, religion ain't going to help you. Church ain't going to help you. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only God's glory. And everything was going real fine, Pastor. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, now I'm not talking about knowing about God. I'm not even talking about praying to God. I'm not talking about worshiping God. I'm talking about being in the presence of God's glory. I'm talking about being in the presence of a holy God, a reverence to it. And we're going to see something here. I have no dog in this fight. I'm not going to get caught up in seeker-sensitive because I can't preach things that, as being right that in my heart I know are wrong. I'm not going to tell people they're going to heaven when the Bible says in Galatians 5 that those that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom. I can't lie to people, and I won't do it. But I'll tell them the truth. I'll tell them the truth that if you sinned against God, that if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great thing? To know no matter how bad it was, God will instantly forgive you by simply asking. But there has to be a real heart of repentance. And repentance doesn't start till you admit you're wrong. People don't repent of something they don't think they're wrong about. So until we have that awareness of God, from God that sin is wrong, we're not going to repent of it. I'm not legalistic. No. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. I was chief of all sinners, and I'm saved by the grace and mercy of God. But I'm telling you, that it requires repentance to be born again. Let's pull that verse back up. I know the screen was getting hot. 
And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Asa put forth his hand to the ark and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. You can let that slide go blank and get ready for the next one. You can always tell a religion that has been built upon the principles, a choice that has been built upon the principles of the culture and a choice that's been built upon the word of God. Because the churches that are built, listen to me, pull on your ear. You don't want to forget this. Because a church that's been built on the culture of a people constantly needs people to hold it up. But you see, God's church don't need nobody to hold it up. God's church don't need me. You see, God's church don't need God, guys, I hope this is, I got goosebumps all over my body right now. Every hair in my head standing up, and I ain't got that many left, so this is God. See, if anybody should have known how to handle the sacred things of God, it ought to have been Isaac, because this thing, this ark, has been in his daddy's yard. For 70 years. If anybody, what's that tell me about Abinadad? He never told his son about the holiness of God, about the sacredness of God, about the purity of God. He never told him to be in awe of God and reverence of God. <laughs> if anybody should have known how to handle the sacred things of God, it should have been this man, but because he casually, irreverently said, oh God, if I don't hold you up, you're going to fall. And see, let's go back to that voice and see what happened to this man. Verse number six, or was that, and it came to Nacon's treasure floor, and Isaac put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. If I don't hold up God's plan, it's going to fall apart. And notice verse number seven. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Asa. Why? Not because he was ignorant. Not because he didn't know better. I could see God up in heaven. How in the world could you be disrespecting me in this manner? How could you Dare look at the sacred things of God. And God smote him there for his error. See, there's some error that people can make that may lead to the demise of others. And I'm telling you, seeker-sensitive churches work fine until you hit a rough spot in the road. But once you hit that rough spot in the road, you're going to find out what's of God and what ain't of God. Because everything's going to fall. But what God has built, but what God has built, there ain't enough devils in hell to tear down what God builds. Are you liking this so far? I'm going to hurry this up, but I'm amazed by this. Notice voice number eight. What I'm trying to say, guys, is I'm glad that some of these churches that say they have God's glory, that it's really just feelings and emotions. Because if it really was God's glory, there'd be people dropping dead all over the place. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Because there's some things, oh, well, you know. And this is David, you know. 
the man after God's own heart. The man, the man, the man that, that, that had the God's own heart, the man that had the heart of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Asa. The word displeased there is David was angry. David was angry with God because God didn't approve of his carnal decision. Although he realized, no, 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 that means that should make you and I feel better. Even the best have their bad days. Even the best can miss God. Even the best can find that they, their mind is not in the same path. That the, but God corrects us. Thank God for that. And, 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 he, and, and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Asa. And he called the name of the place Perez Asa to this day. I know it's hoiky-joiky, but please bear with me because this is probably the most important. If I died tonight, if I could preach this the way God wanted to preach, I'd go to heaven a happy man. That's how important this is. Because all of y'all can take this a lot farther than one man can. All of y'all can do a lot more with this than I can do by myself. Notice verse number 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. There was an attitude adjustment. Oh, I'm going to get the ark of God out of a cow pasture, and God's going to be pleased with that. And then he was. And it was horribly disrespectful for Nacon or to want, to, to, for him to want, Abinadad to want the ark of God on his property, but he didn't want it inside of his house. Because if God's in my house, God's in charge. So I'll stick him out there with the cows. And then when I, need, when I need a God fix, I'll run out there and get one. But, but, but I'll go back to my crib and be like I was. And David, you guys are sure enough sanctified. If you can get folks shouting over stuff like this, they sanctified. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? This starts him on a journey of discovery, the right way to do things. A man is dead because of my mistake. A man is dead because I have mishandled. You know why David was afraid? Because David realized at that moment that it could have been him that was dead. It could have been everyone else that was dead because they all were doing it the wrong way. So he was afraid, but grateful for God's mercy. This is hoiky joiky, but please bear with me. Now let's drop down to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse number 10. We're going to go through verse 12. I know it's hoiky joiky, but bear with me. So David would not remove the ark of God the ark of the Lord unto him, unto the city of David, but he carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Jetite. Now, the first thing you got to ask yourself is who is Obed-Edom the Jetite? Someone say, who is Obed-Edom the Jetite? Before I answer that question, I want to describe how a lot of the world looks at us. When they look particularly at Pentecostals, those that believe in the full counsel of God's word, most people of the world would say that we're not very educated. They would say that most of us come from a very bad or we're not very socially connected. We're not connected with the right people. Some would even question if we're sane or not, if we're mentally ill or, oh, I'm serious. I, we've all heard it, haven't we? We've all heard it. So, so, so. 
Who is this, this man, Obed-Edom, the Jetite? You see, when you got God's glory, the world may look at you as deficient. They may look at you as someone who's weak and you just need God to be a crutch to get you through life. They may look at you as uneducated and only an uneducated person can believe in, oh, I believe in the cross of Calvary because I've been to the cross of Calvary. Though my sins were scarlet, now, oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Obed-Edom the Jetite is a Levite. That means he was raised generation after generation to serve as a priest. He was trained tuned on the back of the pews to someday carry the ark of God on his shoulders. Should God pick him? God! raise you up from your mama's womb to help carry the ark of God to a generation. Now bear with me. So he's a Levite trained in all the things that a Levite must do, which could include perhaps someday being the one that got to come into the most holy place where the ark of God was. So he knew everything to do concerning the ark of God. However, he lives, he's a G-type. What does that mean? It means that he lives in the city of Gath. Gath is the same city that Goliath come from, who David just whacked. His five brothers, who are also giants, still live in Gath. So to say that Obed-Edom was not a very popular man where he lived would be the understatement of the year. It also tells us something about this man's condition. God, in his foreknowledge, when Obed-Edom was born, God said to mom or daddy or both, name him Obed-Edom. We know now that through the Hebrew language, the word Obed-Edom means servant of the blood. So it's not by coincidence that Obed-Edom was named the servant of the blood because if you want to experience God's glory, there's only one way to get there, through the blood of the Lamb of God. Are you enjoying this so far? Let's turn to someone and say, it's hoiky-joiky. But I promise I'm going to speed it up. You're going to be glad you came. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle God's glory, and the wrong way is disastrous. It will always cause more harm in the end than always. So, 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 so Obed is a Levite that lives in the city of Gath. His name means the servant of the blood. But we know that this man does not have many options in his life. The reason why we know that is if he had other options, he wouldn't be living in Gath. He'd get to some nice Jewish community where he would be loved and honored and respected. For somehow this man has fallen out of God's favor. But God has prepared him to be the man that he could trust to show the king the right way, the proper way to treat God's glory. See, a lot of people talk about you. And they talk about me. And they talk about all of us Christians out here. Like we a bunch of nobodies from nowhere. We're uneducated. 
We don't have a full deck, whatever they may use to describe us. And I got news for you. God's fixing to raise up a bunch of nobodies to reveal his glory to a bunch of somebodies. And I'm proud to be one of them nobodies. I'm proud to be one of them nobodies. <laughs> now listen, it's going to get even better. So this man by the name of Obed-Edom the Jetite, who is a Levite that has been trained from his youth up and how to minister to the instruments of the furniture in God's tabernacle, the ark of God just so happens to be dropped off at this little nobody's house. I want to ask you a question. How many of you would like to do something over the next two days that God would move so powerful that by tomorrow, when President Trump's cabinet gathers, the first thing someone stands up and says, President, I got to interrupt this meeting. Did you hear about what's going on in Farmington? Did you hear about Brother Rick Hensley? I'm telling you, God's blessing that guy. God's blessing that church. Mr. President, I want to do this respectfully, but I say we need to get on Air Force once, fly down to Farmington, and find out what's going on. How would you like to go to bed tonight in man's eyes and nobody from nowhere and wake up tomorrow and tomorrow when everybody all over the country is talking about you in a good way and telling the president, you say, oh, Brother John, that can't happen. We cannot become the conversation of the cabinet meeting of the president of the United States. Well, well let's see. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the... So the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Jetite three months. Turn to somebody and look at it. Look at him and say, it don't take long for God to change your life. It don't take God long to bless your socks off. It don't take God long to change your future. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Jetite, not the field. Not the pasture, not the backyard, <laughs> in the house, <clears throat> three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. You see, when you got God's glory, everything in your house, everyone connected with you, everyone, everything that is connected to your life will be blessed by God. And when you've been blessed by Jesus, you've been blessed by the best. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, trust me, there ain't that many more voices, but I gotta, I'm going to hurry, but this is so important. How many want to make sure we do it right? Right's better than fast. Right's better than fast. Voice number 12. And it was told who? There's this out-of-work priest living in Gath that is so cut off from his people, he can't even go home. And he's living with the enemy in his house. <laughs> and it was told King David saying, the Lord, the Lord, when you've been blessed by Jesus, you've been blessed by the best. The devil can't curse what God has blessed. And when you've got God's glory, now, I'm going to skip First Chronicles, okay? But we're going to stay in Samuel. 
but I'm going to skip. They've, they've got it. I don't need the First Chronicles. But go print that scripture back up we just had, please. I'm very confusing, especially when I'm like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I anticipate a visitation. I, visitate, I anticipate a habitation. And, he said, and it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him. Cousins, their cousins. Any of you ever come into a little bit of money? Anybody ever come into a little bit of money? And were shocked the next day how many relatives you had? Yeah, but cousins coming out of the woodwork. But God, God is, God, I want to share God's glory with the world because there's enough God to go around. God could bless this entire world and not have to reduce my blessing one moment. Well, we're getting close. And all that pertaineth, everything, kids, grandkids, that youngin' on drugs, that youngin' in bondage because of the ark of God, because of the glory of God. I'm going to bless that drug addict youngin' because you've got the glory in your house. I'm going to save that child because the glory of God is in your house. I'm going to bless everything that pertains to you because the glory is in your house. Now bear with me. The only reason all this good stuff's happening is the glory. So David went and bought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now Obed-Edom don't lose the blessing. Now he just gets to share it with everybody in the whole nation. And he's now the new hero. But let's, let us look at something really, really, really powerful. I know it's hoiky-joiky, but God really charged me to do this correct. I don't want to do what King David did. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13 through verse 15, this is going to show us something powerful. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13 through verse 15. When you got it, just pull up verse 15. 13, I mean. Or I can read it, whatever you... Someone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And it was so. Give the PowerPoint person a hand back there. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Give me seven. How many give me seven minutes? That puts me right at 52 minutes. That's less than your favorite TV show. That's less than your favorite TV show. 52 minutes. We'll make 52 minutes to watch Pickers. And we're going to church and hear about the glory of God. And we want it in 30 minutes or less. I refuse to turn the church into a Burger King. We do not get it in five minutes or less, and we don't get it our way. We get it also. <laughs> and it was so. <laughs> and it was so when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. One, two, three, four, five, six. Approximately 18 feet. He sacrificed an oxen about a thousand bucks in today's currency, at least two lambs, at least a hundred bucks a pop in today's currency. He sacrificed oxen and fatlings. In other words, it cost them something. The ark of God can only come back through our sacrifice of praise. 
the sacrifice of praise doesn't mean praising God when things are going rough in our life. So it's a sacrifice of praise. No, in the Old Testament, a sacrifice was not received by God unless it was the best you had. So the sacrifice of praise is the best praise that I got. The very best. Bear with me. You guys are wonderful. Notice verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might and was girded with the linen he thought. You're saying that man's crazy. Right about now, I feel just a tad bit crazy. But David danced before the Lord with all of his mind, not dressed as a king, but dressed like everybody else. He did this every six steps for 20 miles. The oxen, they sacrificed an ox and at least two lambs every 18 feet for 20 miles. I know what you're thinking. Brother John, ain't that a little bit extravagant? It would be if you didn't know what the ark represented. The ark represented the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And is anything too extravagant? Is there anything too extravagant when it comes to now? Listen. Now he's dressed like all the other believers. In the linen ephod. Notice the next voice. So David and all the house of Israel noticed the change. It went from 30,000 chosen men. I'm going to stop with this verse. It went from 30,000 chosen men to everybody. Let everybody come. Let everybody bring back the glory. Let the poor come. Let the rich come. Let the up come. Oh, come on, somebody. So David and all the house of, uh, the house of Israel brought up the ark of God with shouting and with the sounds of a trumpet. Now, I'm going to close real quick, but listen. This is vitally, life-changingly important. Now, I want you to hear this. Why is the shout and the trumpet so powerful in the Bible? Why is it when they blew shofars and shouted, the walls of Jericho came down? Why is it when they shouted and blew shofars, the enemy would start killing each other? Because it is believed by Jewish oral tradition and Jewish historians, the reason why the shofar is so powerful and the shout is so powerful is that they believe that the devil cannot discern between the sound of a shout or a shofar from the voice of God. So when you shout or blow a shofar, the devil don't know if it's you talking or God's talking and he does. Now I'm about, I'm, I really am almost done. But now I got, I, I, I got to do this because it's good to know someone just shout. Someone just, hallelujah! I guarantee you the devil's hightailing up that road right now. Because you don't know if you spoke or God spoke. But now listen to this. Notice what David did here. This is what God wants to do for you. Know that his kingdom, his throne, his reign will never come to an end. 
How did David manage to work that out? Because I did my homework and I found out that David and all the kings follow him all have one thing in common. They all dead. But you see, King Jesus, he ain't dead. He's alive and he's alive forevermore. And it's really But I want you to see something. This is what God wants to do tonight. They started shouting and playing the instruments. You could, and, and, but David took off his kingly robe and put on the linen ephod, the robe of a common working class person. It began to praise God. Do you know what David did at that moment? He said, I'm no longer Israel. You're king of Israel. Wow. This is no longer my throne, but this is now your throne. But look at the honor that God gave King David back from that day forward. David was known as the man after God's own heart. Now understand this. Look at the honor that God gave King David when David surrendered his kingdom to God's kingdom. At that moment, he not only became the man after God's own heart, but it was recorded throughout history till this very day that Jesus would be out of the seed of David. Jesus was the namesake of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Can... So can you imagine the glory and the honor that goes with having Jesus being your namesake. Jesus will forever be known as the son of David. Saints of God, they were extravagant. They took six paces. They oxen, sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and they began to dance and praise and magnify the Lord. I'm looking. Is there anybody here that's hungry for the glory of God? Is there anybody here? Stand up to your feet, hurry. 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 Step out into the aisle. Step out in the aisle. And I'm going to start counting. And every time I say a number, take a step. One, two, three, four, five, six. Clap your hands and shout. Clap your hands and shout.